and welcome to the Athletics Power Rankings Podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor for The Athletic. And we're back. We have a Super Bowl champion, Amy. Are you excited? How do you feel about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl last night? It was very exciting to see. It was a weird game, kind of just the rhythm. I'm still getting used to what the rhythm of the game was like. Like I was sure the Niners, well, not sure, but I thought the Niners had them exactly where they wanted them. They did have them exactly where they wanted them. And the Chiefs again came back, mounted another third straight comeback of the playoffs, uh, and they pulled it off. So it was really exciting, obviously, to see Mahomes get it. And then, of course, Andy Reid's been waiting so long. So it was a really cool moment. Yeah, the Chiefs are now the first team in NFL history to erase a double-digit deficit in three straight playoff games. There was the 24 to nothing deficit to the Texans in the divisional round. They were down 17 to 7 to the Titans in the AFC Championship game. And then they were down 20 to 10 early in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. So you felt like the Niners were in control of that game for largely three quarters. You just couldn't feel like that lead was safe. Um, you know, we've seen Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs do this where, you know, in the, the divisional game against the Texans where they scored four touchdowns. So yeah, while it felt like the Niners were really in control of that game, we've just seen how quickly the Chiefs are able to score. And that's what they did in the fourth quarter. They scored 21 unanswered points. Um, It was the most points ever scored in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. And they did it really in the span of about four minutes where they went from losing that game by 10 points to taking taking a lead. And, you know, they, they just are able to score so fast. And even though they, you know, the Niners were doing such a good job of really flustering Patrick Mahomes, unlike we've seen him really, um, really struggle at any point this season with a pass rush. Um, you just knew that all it took was kind of really one big play. And they definitely got that moment with the with that third and 15 play to Tyree Kill. So, you know, now th- this is our NFL Power Rankings podcast. We are not going to have new power rankings this week. But I did want to look back a, just a little bit. And the Chiefs started our season at number two in our poll. They fell all the way to number nine. That was back in week eight. That was when Patrick Mahomes was out. He dislocated his kneecap. At that point, the Colts or they had already lost to the Colts, the Texans. They lost at home to the Packers um, without Patrick Mahomes. And there were just a lot of questions, you know, but back then about Mahomes and his health, about the Chiefs running game, their defense. Frank Clark was not healthy. The secondary, there were some big questions there and their run defense was definitely a liability. So it's just kind of really, you know, really interesting to see how they got from there where, you know, they definitely didn't look like the best team in the NFL and certainly not the best team in the AFC to, you know, where we were on Sunday night with Patrick Mahomes lifting up that Lombardi trophy. Yeah, and so later today on the podcast, we're going to talk to Nate Taylor of The Athletic Kansas City, friend of uh, our podcast here. He's been on plenty of times because we can't stop talking about the Chiefs, and rightly so. And so he wrote an excellent story uh, from last night, and it went up this morning. You should check it out. And it's all about kind of how that moment after um, the 49ers had scored, I believe it was, right? When they did the, like, dance in the end zone, or was it after a pick? It was after the second interception of Patrick Mahomes, and it it was was there early in the fourth quarter. Right. Right. So they had intercepted Patrick Mahomes again. It was 20 to 10. It seemed like that could have been the moment that it might have been over, perhaps, if they were able to string together a drive. And um, Frank Clark had noticed that they were kind of, you know, they did their selfie celebration thing in the end zone. And then 
Frank Clark began talking uh, trash to them, basically saying, like, your asses are going home just like the Texans and the Titans. Like, just watch. We're going to come back. And uh, then they did. So there's really cool, excellent color uh, in that story. And so we're going to talk to him more about those details from the Chiefs' comeback and, and how that comeback was really a microcosm for this Chiefs' season because this is just what they've been doing this postseason. And we shouldn't have been surprised, even if it was a crazy turn of events in the second half of the fourth quarter. So, Lindsay, you were also there. What was that scene like, you know, after the game, Patrick Mahomes, his, him getting crowned Super Bowl MVP, and then, of course, Andy Reid finally having his moment. What was all that like to witness? Yeah, I mean, it was it was nuts. And, you know, this is the first Super Bowl in a while. It feels like that the Patriots haven't been there, you know, it's been since, <laughs> yes. I guess, 20, the 2015 season that we had a team other than the Patriots rep- representing the AFC. So the entire week kind of felt different. It felt fresh. There were, you know, just new faces, you know, new storylines, you know, and Patrick Mahomes being there on this stage, it was just, it was so great for the game. And it was just a really fitting end that he was able to become MVP. And I focused in, I was going to write on Patrick Mahomes kind of win or lose at this point. And, you know, in the third quarter, at some point, I kind of thought maybe, maybe it would be writing a losing game story. But, you know, I managed to just follow him around the stadium after they scored that that touchdown to take the lead where they went, um, their, their go-ahead touchdown. I really just kind of put on my binoculars and just followed him around the stadium, watching him on the sideline. He actually didn't end the game with a kneel down. It was kind of funny. You know, he took three kneel downs and then he, the fourth, the last play, he just launched a ball. You know, if there had been a ceiling over Hard Rock Stadium, he would have hit it. He threw that ball kind of so high and deep downfield just in celebration, but kind of just trailed him around with the binoculars and following him through the crowd and the people that he was stopping to see and just this massive crush of television cameras and security guards and PR handlers as he, you know, everybody just wanted to just, he was just mobbed. And until he finally got to see his family, his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister, and then his girlfriend, who you've probably already now seen a lot of pictures and you know, social media posts of her, but like just a very like sweet scene of this family. And um, you know, kind of the, the way that covering these things work, the winning team has a very long celebration on the field. There's all the confetti and trophy celebrations and interviews with, uh, you know, Fox and all of those things that are going on. So while that was all happening, I went to the 49ers locker room and it's just, you go from the, the, the highest of high, you walk into the losing locker room and it's silent and guys were angry and stunned and shell-shocked. I mean, that was shell-shocked is probably the right word to describe Kyle Shanahan, especially. I mean, he was just glazed over. But then I popped out of there because I said, all right, I need to go. I got to go find Patrick Mahomes. And it was like serendipitous. Right as I walked out of the 49ers locker room, he was leaving the tunnel. He was with his mom, his dad, his siblings and his girlfriend. And then he had like two PR handlers um, that were kind of escorting him. So I just like latched into their little party and like (laughs) walked through the tunnel as he was being escorted to his um, MVP press conference. He still had full uniform on. He hadn't loosened anything up yet. He just, you know, made the the championship t-shirt on over his... Um, over his jersey and his shoulder pads, he still had on his like big wristband that has all, has all his play calls on it. Um, you know, they had the football. You know, at that point, he was he he had to put the football down because he had like one arm all the way around his girlfriend. You know, his left arm, his right hand, he, right hand was holding the hand of his little sister Mia. Um, but it was just kind of this cool scene as he was getting whisked out. And I walked with his dad, um, Patrick Mahomes Sr. And, you know, I kind of just, just chit-chatted a little bit as we were walking out. And I asked, you know, how he's doing, you know, how he felt, how, you know, if this had sunk in yet and just what he thought of the game. And he just kind of like shook his head. He said, it's just what he does. And it's right. It is what he does. And it's just kind of insane that 
you know, just in the, in the press books, I was sitting, um, I was sitting next to some national reporters. I was sitting next to Nate Taylor, who we're going to talk to in a few minutes. And I was sitting next to a lot of the 49ers writers, including the athletic crew from the Bay area. And they were all so convinced the Bay area guys, especially were just so convinced that the Niners were going to win this game. And, you know, Nate and I, you know, Nate has been covering the chiefs every day for two years now covered every single snap that Patrick Mahomes um, has taken since he became starter. I've been around this team a lot. I've been at all their playoff games and, you know, we kind of knew differently and it is, it is what Patrick Mahomes does. And he is now poised. If he wasn't already the face of the NFL, he is going to become the, the new face of the NFL. He's got the physical skills. He's got the mental makeup. He's got the clutch gene where anything is possible late in games. And, you know, he's kind of got the charisma and the leader and all of the stuff that you want. Um, you know, and this was kind of a, it felt like a turning point season kind of in the NFL where we're wondering if this is the end of the Brady dynasty in New England. Is Drew Brees going to retire? Philip Rivers, you know, is not probably not going to be with the, the Chargers anymore. You know, Ben Roethlisberger didn't play this year. And, you know, between Patrick Mahomes now having a Super Bowl MVP and an MVP award under age 24, Lamar Jackson becoming an, uh, the unanimous MVP, you know, it's just really this the, the the time for this new generation of quarterbacks is now and Patrick Mahomes is leading the way. And it just couldn't have been a better story, I think, overall for the NFL between Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. I mean, people around the NFL are just so happy for Andy Reid. So, you know, it was it was kind of a cool scene. It wasn't the wildest locker room celebration I've ever seen. I mean, the Eagles two years ago was like much more raucous. I mean, dudes were like chugging bottles of liquor in that yeah. locker room in, in Philly or the, in, in Minnesota, the Philly locker room. There, yeah. there was dancing and stuff here, but it wasn't like not you know, even Kelsey. Like, I was expecting some. Um, some I, <laughs> some crazy he was pretty tame in the locker room. I mean, he was he was excited, you know, but he you know it was a lot of kind of like hugging and like yeah, bro, yeah. that kind of stuff. I think they <laughs> saved their really wild moments for the privacy of their own party back at their hotel, and then out right. on South Beach, they finally kind of got released um, right. to go out and and let all this stuff out. The probably the most interesting like post game scene um, was so Tyreek Hill brought his son um, into the locker room with him. And, you know, there's a lot of history there. There's been a lot. I wrote about this, um, over the weekend for the athletic of just how it's just such a complicated story The you know, he was involved in a child abuse investigation, cleared of all these charges. So, you know, clearly the chiefs believe that he deserves a second chance. Roger Goodell believes he deserves a second chance. And, um, you know, at this point, you kind of have to give them, I guess, give them a be- the benefit of the doubt there. And But it was interesting to see him in there with his son and his son was dancing in the middle of all the wide receivers. He was wearing Tyreek's, Tyreek's like full uniform. He had his like the jersey with the pads on it. He put on his helmet. Um, so, you know, you just kind of, I guess, hope for for the sake of those people and that family that they're, um, you know, that they're, they're getting their lives together. So that was probably the most notable scene. But um yeah, but I think, you know, before we talk to Nate, which I think he'll be in here in just a second, we do need to talk a little bit a little bit about the 49ers because as much as the Chiefs, you know, were so impressive in that fourth quarter, the way they came back to win, you know, it's really true that the Niners also collapsed. So, you know, Amy, what were some of your thoughts about this collapse and what did you think maybe of this 49ers game plan and what they were able to do early and then what fell apart late? Yeah, I mean... I thought it was working perfectly for the first uh, pretty much three and a half quarters. I mean, look, they did leave points on the board. Their first kind of long drive, they had to settle for three a couple of times. They also had to settle for three points. You know, in hindsight, they would have really liked to have gotten seven there. But at the, you know, 20 to 10, 
going with six minutes or so left in the fourth quarter and having picked off Mahomes twice and sacked and forced a fumble, which the Chiefs recovered, but still like they had they had gotten to Mahomes. Mahomes yeah. was playing not well. Like this I know he won MVP and you know if you and that is the right, you know, I think it makes sense that he did, but also like Damian Williams could have also had some been yeah, contested for, sure. for MVP. Mahomes didn't have a good game except until the last seven minutes. Uh, and the 49ers were pretty much doing everything you would have wanted them to do if you were a fan of them. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about a lot of things about what went wrong. And I think that some of that is just because things went so badly at the end that now there's a lot of look back at the timeout situation with Kyle Shanahan at the end of the first half, which, you know, he didn't use his timeouts. He had all three of them. He says that it was because he didn't want to leave the Chiefs any time to score. Um, And, you know, the thing about that that I think is kind of getting lost is that they did actually have (laughs) a really big play that would have led to three points. It just ended up getting called for for OPI and Kittle. It was I think it was a 42 yard strike. Right. So it's like they had a plan for moving the ball. It just it ended up getting negated and called back. And so instead of trying to, you know, put something together at the very end, they just ended up kneeling it out. And I I do understand not wanting to leave more time for the Chiefs to score right before the half because that changes the whole tone of the game. I think the 49ers are probably happy going inside. And then they came out strong in the second half and they played really well at the beginning. And like Garoppolo was, I think, 8.5 yards per attempt before the kind of second before the latter half of the fourth quarter. That was what he was doing. Um, and they were carrying the ball, the 49ers, 6.4 yards per carry. That's what you would want. It just all, and I think some of it is like what what you were just talking about, Lindsay, like Patrick Mahomes just started to do what he does. And I don't know how the the 49ers just, the defense just collapsed. Like they weren't able to stop it. They, they got beat by Hill on that pivotal third and 15. And from there, you know, Garoppolo wasn't able to to put any more drives together. If he could even have just put one more together, they might have been able to to hold them off. But I think just the whole tone and momentum changed and kind of everything started going wrong for them. So, you know, the timeout thing, I think in hindsight, yes, like maybe he should have used some and left them a couple more chances to score before the half. But I don't really think that that was the game changer you know it wasn't they they still came out and performed really well in the second half they were up 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter I don't think that that decision at halftime necessarily would have made a huge difference because I think that it's not like they could have scored there and then didn't score at all in the second half so and then you know Garoppolo at the end of the game it's just he missed some throws that throw to Sanders is getting talked about a lot now and um, he wasn't good enough at the end, but I think he did enough at the beginning. <laughs> so it's just kind of that balance of like everything just went wrong for them on all levels at in the last seven minutes. And yeah. some of that can be blamed on the coach and the quarterback. But I, I think it's kind of everybody has a little blame, including the defense, which had played great all game and then just fell apart. Yeah, and that's really what Tim Kawakami wrote, um, our editor from the Athletic Bay Area. He wrote that it wasn't just Kyle. It was kind of a failure on all these fronts. And it was just bizarre that like those last two minutes, I mean, everybody in the press box was literally like, what are you doing, Kyle? And, you know, because, you know, ultimately, like, yeah, I don't think it would have changed the outcome just because that onslaught that the Chiefs went into in the fourth quarter was just so dramatic. Um, But to me, it was more the message that he was sending and what he was showing. And it felt like he was coaching scared at that point. And, you know, at least the first couple of plays. And then, yes, he did take, you know, he did dial up a couple of deep shots and that play to Kittle, you know, 
I think it was a ticky-tack call. I wish the NFL would have at least reviewed it or at least instituted this policy that you rule change that they put in place. Um, but to me, it was just that it, it felt like he was sending this message to his team and to the greater, you know, to all of us watching, the millions of people watching that he didn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo in that moment. And if they had gone into this game trying to disrupt that narrative that they didn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo to win a big game for them. That wasn't really the way to approach it. And, you know, I think that's going to be what's frustrating. Now, this is something that's going to follow Kyle Shanahan. Um, You know, this is two games now. He answered questions every day. I heard it probably a dozen times this week. Somebody asking Kyle Shanahan about what did he learn from 20 to 3. And every time he answered that, you know, he owned it. He knows what his mistakes were and that it has changed the way he's coached since where he you know, never lets up and stuff. And then here we are and it happened again where his team wasn't able to hold on to a lead in a large part because of either his play calling or, um, or the the execution of those plays. So I think that's the big stuff. We know our, our Bay area guys um, had a ton of 49ers coverage, just so much stuff. So make sure you check out the athletic Bay area um, to read even more about kind of what happened with the Niners. But I think now let's get back to the happy stuff. So let's bring in Nate Taylor to talk about everything that went on with the Kansas City uh, Kansas City Chiefs, you can follow Nate on Twitter at by Nate Taylor. Follow all of his stuff at the Athletic Kansas City and uh, on our national NFL page as well. So, hi Nate, how are you? Exhausted, but uh, glad to be here, <laughs> ladies. Nate, hi. you're back. Welcome back. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. Welcome back. Yeah, it's uh, um, no, it's it's good. I, I just finished packing, so I, I guess that's a win. You're a step respects. ahead of me, Nate. So. <laughs> so, yeah, Nate and I have spent a lot of time together here in Miami over the last week and uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit just before we get into like, all of this stuff. So during the I think it was early in the fourth quarter. So Nate and I are sitting next to each other in the press box. It's a teeny, mm-hmm. teeny, tiny press box. I mean, I think we probably were like bumping elbows the entire night, but we were kind of <laughs> sitting there huddling for trying to figure out what we were all going to write. And I was, I knew I was going to take some chief angles. Obviously you are Rustin Dodd, who is um, here in Miami writing um, about chief stuff this week. We we're just all kind of going over all these like losing storylines of like, how did this game plan fall apart? How did Patrick Mahomes have the worst game of his career? Um, you know, another Andy Reid loss, all of these sorts of things. And we kind of mapped out a plan. And then I looked at you and I said, you know, they're going to win, right? And you kind of like nodded your head and uh, we kind of like shrugged our shoulders. And then yep. I don't know, uh, two minutes later is when he hit that third and 15 to Tyreek and we scrambled everything. Um, so let's get into that. I mean, you're, the story, Amy already referenced it. The story that you wrote was, Incredible. So many really great details about the anatomy of this comeback. Um, but so let's get into that third and 15. Can you just take us through what was the play call, the situation, why it worked, and what it really did for the Chiefs to kind of kick this comeback off? Yeah, so it, it's um, it's an incredible play, and I shouldn't take them for granted. But in some ways, I looked at you and was like, how many, how many times have I seen this? Where like... Oh. Well, game. yeah, because I had just cursed, like, audibly. I think I had said, holy bleep. And I think I yeah. tweeted that. And you said, yeah, I see that all the time. <laughs> I see, yeah, I kind of see that all the time. No. Um, yeah, these last two years, you just kind of see Mahomes make a play where, as a defender, you're you're told, like, if we just we just finish this play, we're, we're probably going to win, right? Um, I, think, I think back of second and 30 with the Denver Broncos. I think yeah. about – you know, Patrick Mahomes's, you know, signature run against the Tennessee Titans where they had played a really good, uh, really good game for a first half. And so it's third and 15 and Nick Bosa is the biggest issue. I feel like the whole night, because while Eric 
Fisher is a Pro Bowl left tackle, I feel like Nick Bosa was dominating that matchup and was forcing Mahomes to scramble sooner than he wanted. Uh, he was not, you know, placing his – he wasn't having proper footwork in terms of uh, his accuracy with the ball. Everything just felt a little rushed, uh, which, you know, helped lead to the two interceptions. So it's third and 15, um, and I, I guess Patrick Mahomes told, you know, Mike Kafka, the off, uh, the quarterback's coach, uh, Eric Benemy, the offensive coordinator, and obviously Andy Reid, that, hey, I want to – you know, if we have to have a big – chunk play based on what the 49ers have shown us earlier in the game with this sort of robber cover scheme where the safety kind of comes down after making it appear like he'll be a deep safety. Um, if th- if we have to have that play, I think we should do this. And so per Chad Henney, uh, you know, it's it's a dangle route, which I had not known. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chad and I had a fun conversation about yeah, this. Yeah, and, 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 so, and so you got that for me and it was really great. But, you know, this is Chad basically saying, Quote, technically, the play is called Wasps. Trey Wright, three jet, chip Wasps. And so the Trey is obviously the three wide receivers to the right. Um, They're basically running, all three guys are running deep, which I assume is what Jet basically alludes to. And then Travis Kelsey is mostly the chip on the Wasps in terms of trying to attract that robber so that Tyreek Hill can go past him on what, you know, is mostly a 25-yard sort of, going to the post then before coming back to the corner and it was wide open the issue is is that Patrick Mahomes at no point in the game had time to like really watch Tyreek Hill run 30 yards down the field comfortably so it was instinctual that he got the you know he got the snap from the shotgun so he's already you know further back than he would be for Nick Bosa and he just kept going backwards and he's the only quarterback I think in the league right now with the arm strength the awareness and the accuracy to back up nine yards past his initial, you know, drop back and have the arm strength to get it to Tyreek Hill. And so it was the perfect play and the perfect situation when the Chiefs absolutely needed it to sort of turn the game's momentum, to sort of keep the faith on both sides of the football for the offense and the defense. And from that moment on, the Chiefs played about as flawless of a seven to eight minute football game as you could possibly yeah. have. It, it I know that a lot of the discussion will be about, hey, the 49ers, man, they kind of, I don't know, Kyle, you, you know, that maybe you could have done some things differently. Maybe the team could have played better. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo will take a brunt of sort of the criticism. But at every level, um, the Chiefs just beat the 49ers. And for whatever reason, it just happened in the final eight to nine minutes. And that um, turned the entire complexion of the game and ultimately decided who was the champion. But it all starts and sort of ends with Mahomes' ability to overwhelm you. And when that happens, uh, we have yet to see a defense really come back from that. Um, yeah, and so I, it, it was a great play, and, and it, we'll be talking about it for, for years, which I, you know, because I got no sleep last night, I'm, I'm hard to, like, realize that. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that play for, like, forever. Because <laughs> they came back from 10 down in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it doesn't really have a name yet. I mean, it doesn't have, like, Philly Special. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if, like, Wasp, like, Dangle Wasp has quite the same uh, <laughs> connotation to it as uh, as Philly Special did. But, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we talked to a lot of guys in the locker room. It was, you know, I talked to both of the backup quarterbacks. I talked to um, Matt Kafka, the quarterback's coach, to Eric Bieniemy, and um, the offense coordinator. And they all were kind of talking about how that play came about. And they ran kind of like a complimentary play early in the game where they tried a deep route to Kelsey and the Niners covered it well. Um, And it was really one of those like, let's run this early and then we'll keep 
we'll keep this one in our back pocket and we know that we can hit it. We know what kind of coverage they're going to give us. And basically after halftime, every time that, um, you know, they're talking through all these, these series, you know, the plays on the sidelines and um, they actually did a timeout right before that third and 15. And, you know, Patrick said, let's do it. Let's, let's run wasp. And, um, and they, and they did it and they dialed it. It was the perfect, it was the perfect time for it. And, you know, everybody knew it. Frank Clark knew it. Frank Clark make sure made sure that the Niners offense knew it. And, yep. you know, and it was just, um, you know, it was just pretty wild. I mean, they were, they were desperate for it and, um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, so what else, um, went into this comeback? I mean, can you t- take us through a little bit about like what Damian Williams did and maybe the defense's role in closing that game out? Yeah. So from a defensive perspective, it's remarkable. And, uh, Steve Spagnolo, you know, as the year went on, he would talk to me about, hey, you know, I, I was a guy who beat the Patriots when they were undefeated. Mostly part of that was built on this great defensive line, but so much of it was the depth, right? And so they used, uh, once again, nine defensive linemen in the Super Bowl, and that really helped guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark be most effective in the fourth quarter. Um, to where as the 49ers started to get, you know, maybe they maybe played with some tightness to them. Uh, you know, Chris Jones had three pass deflections at the line of scrimmage when, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the best quarterbacks at throwing the ball short and in the intermediate zone, which means you're trying to get the ball quickly out instead of, you know, over the top. Um, and then, you know, a couple linebackers that are unheralded in a lot of ways are Anthony Hitchens, the, the, you know, the veteran middle linebacker. He came and blitzed and hit Garoppolo on one snap, uh, that led to an incompletion. And then, Surprisingly, one of the few times I've seen it all year, Steve Spagnolo used Ben Neiman, an undrafted second-year player from Iowa, as a blitzer when that is not his strength. His strength is mostly, you know, playing back in coverage, covering running backs, um, maybe disguising some things in the middle of the field for Spagnolo. But instead, that blitz surprised Garoppolo. And you could tell when you watch the replay how how much that frantically bothers him to where he can't locate his secondary receiver because his initial uh, read was covered by the Chiefs. So the Chiefs didn't, you know, the 49ers didn't attack Tyron Matthew, which I think tells you how much they respected him. But there was really no no options for Garoppolo once his initial read was covered and guys like Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and these linebackers are attacking him. And it's just one of those things where all of a sudden, you know, you've played a game for 15 minutes and not that many you know, strategies have worked and all of a sudden everything works. And on offense, um, Damian Williams was the best running back in the game and it wasn't even close. That's and wild. Know, That's wild that, that we're I saying was, that. We were mentioning this before. He, you know, they obviously gave it to Mahomes, which makes sense, but like he had a case for MVP as well. Yeah. And I, I think, <laughs> I think like, you know, from beginning to, to end, like he was probably one of the most consistent players the Chiefs had on either side of the football. He used the out-of-bounds, the sideline, to his advantage, where he thought he made the 49ers think, hey, I'm running out of bounds, and actually, no, I'm going to spin back inside and try to get extra yards or take you on. He is a great receiver, um, and so that helped basically on the on the third and five from the five-yard line to you know, have the shiftiness to get outside, to run the route correctly, to catch the ball, and then basically one motion, move the football forward so that you can get to the pylon. Um, this was also a homecoming for him because he began his career with the Miami Dolphins for four years as an undrafted free agent coming out of Oklahoma. And so um, Damian Williams, in a weird way, 
became like the Chiefs mini version of Babe Ruth. <laughs> Where he told the okay. offense, so, so here's the, so here's the scenario: the, the the Chiefs are winning now. They they have all of a sudden rallied. They're up twenty four twenty, and all they need is one first down to use all of the 49ers timeouts and basically ensure a victory. And so normally the running backs in the situation will say, "Hey, I just need to get three to four, maybe five yards. If we're lucky, I need to put both hands on the football. I need to protect myself so I don't fumble." And if my teammates can open up a great hole, that's that's a bonus. Um, essentially, Anthony Sherman told him, like, hey, we're going to run. You know, if Patrick says we're going to run this play out of I formation. Before we do that, just follow me. Now, Anthony Sherman is one of the best fullbacks in the AFC. He was a pro bowler last season. And he did something that he normally doesn't do, which is he improvised. And this kind of tells you Patrick Mahomes' sort of impact on the team, his influence, like, you know, Richard Sherman or Anthony Sherman sees the play and says, what if I bounce it outside? And if I tell, you know, Damian Williams to bounce it outside, maybe it's a bigger play than those, you know, necessary three or four yards. In one play, he blocked two San Francisco 49er linebackers. And I'm going to say that that is hard to do. Um, it was Quan Alexander and it was Fred Warner. They're two best linebackers. He blocked both of them, pouncing it out to the outside. And all of a sudden, that's bonkers. What Damian Williams tells you know how he responds to Sherman is okay. If you if you finish your blocks, I'm gonna take it to the house. Like I I will I will make no doubts about us winning the game. And as you know, Mitchell Schwartz told me after the game, he called his shot and he and he did it. And um, I was sitting there in the press box along with Lindsey, thinking like he had to have ran out of bounds, right? Like there's, and then yeah. you just look and you're like, there's no there's no flags. I. And then you're just like, I've lived in Kansas City for most of my life, and they are actually going to win the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. all these things dawn on you. And for a guy who's, you know, not really well known in the in the total landscape of the league, Damian Williams had his best game in the biggest moment possible. Well, it's interesting because they, they probably would have – I just kept thinking that they would have – if their running game was a little better late last year – they probably would have won the Super Bowl last year, mm-hmm. too. But their running game, obviously, for a lot of reasons, Kareem Hunt-related, fell apart in December. And they weren't able to figure it out by the playoffs. And here, it it helped carry them. And it wasn't just Damian Williams. It was also Patrick Mahomes with his yes. legs. But, but go ahead, Amy. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean... We got to talk about Andy Reid. Uh, yeah, and, you know, absolutely. The chance of Andy, you know, even just spending time with people, both Chiefs fans obviously love him. Eagles fans love him. He just seems like one of the most beloved men in all of football. And, you know, to do with the Chiefs after all this time, get his first championship. Why is this so special for, for Reid and for Kansas City to have him as their coach, their guy, and the connection that he has with the players in Kansas City? Yeah, I think I think a lot of this feels more college than than pro football. In Arrowhead, it's supposed to be more of a college atmosphere. There's tailgating. You're outside, whether it's you know 95 and, and smoldering, or you know it's in single digits in the AFC Championship game. But Andy Reid has been sort of the person, the demarcation of when the franchise transformed itself. You know, in 2012, they were. Two and fourteen, and Romeo Cornell was was fired along with Scott Pioli, the former um, you know general manager, and uh, there was a lot of tragedy involved with the Javon Belter murder suicide incident, and so the team had not been at a lower point in its history, in my opinion. And Andy Reid, um, you know, timing is everything in a lot of ways. You know, his his time had sort of run 
in Philadelphia for 14 years where he had gotten into a lot of success, but ultimately had not won a Super Bowl. Um, but what Andy had proven in, in Philly and had brought to Kansas City was that he was a teacher and he was someone that guys truly loved playing for. And in those last few minutes of the game, you sort of saw um, how much, you know, Patrick Mahomes wanted to be next to Andy Reid. Brett Veach, the, you know, the coach's assistant that has risen all the way to the general manager spots of the Chiefs, you know, gave him a big hug. Um, Travis Kelsey got emotional almost to the point of tears last night, explaining that, you know, to be his only coach of seven years in the NFL sort of speaks to what he has sort of done from, you know, being a young player, a, 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 a you know, flamboyant guy to now being one of the most consistent, respected guys in the locker room and at his position. Um, but everybody knows Andy Reid from a play calling standpoint. Everybody knows what he looks like based on uh, playing Madden for 20 years. <laughs> and everybody knows that he was the, the most successful coach who had the longest drought of not winning a Super Bowl. You know, this was year 21. People were wondering if it was ever going to happen. All of a sudden, he uh, is fortunate enough to trade up in the draft in 2017 to get Patrick Mahomes. And it feels like, you know, and I've said this to you before, a perfect football marriage where a play designer has the perfect guy who can throw the ball accurately with pace, but can also add a little bit of creativity to it so that the scheme can't necessarily be compromised by a great defense. And that's what we saw last night with the 49ers who played incredibly well for about, you know, 48, 50 minutes. And Mahomes just figures it out. There's enough skill position players to compliment him. And I, I, you know, we said this on our podcast this morning on Times Ours, uh, our, our, you know, our Chiefs devoted one. Um, there's no more talk of Andy Reid and clock management because there's no reason to have clock management issues when Patrick Wells is your quarterback. Yeah. He um, was the more aggressive coach. <laughs> yeah, right. He yes. was the more aggressive coach <laughs> yes. and the more creative. I mean, he yes. had two fourth down, fourth and ones where he called like basically trick plays. I mean, they had a fourth and one in the red zone where they had a direct snap to Damian Williams. And then they <laughs> did another one to Travis Kelsey. And it was like, all right, all right, Andy. Like, it's cool to see a guy in his 60s evolving, um, yes. mm-hmm. evolving as a coach. And people know that, you know, he is, you know, he's had some, you know, he's had some transgressions. He's had some some heartache in his life. Uh, obviously, that involves, you know, his son, um, you know, and, and obviously has another son who's on the coaching staff with him, Britt Reed. Um, and, and most people know what happened with Garrett. Um I would also say, too, that, like, you know, Andy Reid was someone who was um, made his personality be willing to let players show their personalities and give players second chances. That goes to Michael Vick and, and Tyreek Hill, um, even Travis Kelsey to some degree, because he was, you know, getting he was like the most personalized penalty uh, player in the league at one point, And he didn't necessarily push him away or, or you know, put him on the trading block in essence. Um, look what he did for all these backup quarterbacks. I mean, whether it's Doug Peterson, Jeff Garcia, um, he sort of helped uh, resurrect or, or, or sustain or revolutionize um, Alex Smith's career in Kansas City. He played. So every quarterback that he's had has usually played their best years with Andy Reid. And so he's always been competitive, but he's never had a true generational superstar talent. Donovan McNabb was probably his best quarterback before Mahomes arrived. And so to see that. He's like you said, he's kept evolving. He's kept at it. And to see him get that player that can ultimately bring over the top. I think for a lot of fans, people, you know, relate to the idea of, 
you know, still chasing your dreams, even though it's it's been a rigorous, <laughs> long journey. Um, so that's why people were chanting Andy. They've known him. It was so loud. It They've was known him that, for years. That, yeah, that Andy chant was so. It was like louder than the halftime show. It was really. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Um, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. And um, you know, I think what's so interesting to me about Andy Reid is that he is an older coach, um, but he. Oh, I talked to so many players this week just asking, like, why, how does Andy make you feel special? And what was so cool is that they all have, like, a personal story with him where yeah. he manages to relate to, you know, he can relate to Frank Clark and relate to some of the, you know, the issues that Frank Clark has dealt with in his life where, you know, he... Frank Clark is, has been around people suffering from addiction in his family and, you know, grew up in poverty and all of these type of things. And he can relate to, you know, Dustin Colquitt, who's the son of an NFL player whose father won, you know, Super Bowl rings playing for the Steelers. And he Mm -hmm. can relate to every part of the spectrum and make every single player on his team feel that personal connection and feel like Andy Reid cares about me and cares about me as a person and not just cares about, you know, how many sacks can I bring you on Sunday? And, you know, I, I think that's rare. You know, I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily unique, but I don't think you're going to find that every single place in the NFL. And that's just why, I mean, to a man, you know, on that team and then basically across the NFL outside of kind of the pocket of 49, you know, diehard 49ers fans who really wanted, you know, really are invested in the 49ers. I think there was just so much um, emotion and sentimentality invested in Andy Reid and that story. And you just really saw that kind of all pour out um, Mm -hmm. last night. Yeah, it's it's an it's you know, I think for Andy, he kind of kept all the emotions in check, but nobody else around him did. <laughs> like yeah. not even not even his He's, wife who was crying a couple times and was celebrating without shoes and was like taking on interview <laughs> questions. I mean, just love her. Love uh, Tammy. I, yeah, we love Tammy Reed. MVP. <laughs> yeah. So she uh you know, she she's wanted this for him for so long and has always supported him and you know, will let him work these insane crazy hours during during the uh during the season so um you know Mahomes knew he was drafted for a couple reasons to get the Chiefs over the hump when it came to the playoffs to get them back to capturing the Lamar Hunt trophy something they had never done since the 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 trophy was named after the founder of the Chiefs and to win a Super Bowl with Andy Reid to know that hey maybe I'm the guy that you know was destined for you and you were the coach that was destined for me um, so let's make each other better. And they've, they've done that for two years. And it's wildly impressive to know that they're the first team in NFL history with a quarterback and a coach that you get them down 10 or more points and it just doesn't phase them necessarily. Yeah. It doesn't prevent them from rallying or finding the, the, the right way uh, to find success if there's still time and opportunity left on the, on the clock. So, um, Andy Reid can always say that. He can always say, like, hey, I did it a different way. I always wanted to do it a different way. I always wanted to pass the ball 8,000 times before, you know, running to uh, to run out the clock. So, in a lot of ways, Andy Reid won the Super Bowl in a different way than most NFL coaches ever would dream of, let alone yeah. execute. And so, Neat, now, you know, before we let you go, we do have to talk about the future a little bit. Look, mm-hmm. they've, they've reached the mountaintop. They've made it happen now. Andy Reid got his title. Pat Mahomes is his first one at such a young age. You know, the future for them right now seems like they want to try to do it again now, next year, and maybe the year after that, and maybe maybe build a, a dynasty. So how do they do that? What, what's next, you know, in terms of contracts that they have to take care of with Mahomes and Chris Jones? And how do they get back here and, and do this again? 
Yeah, it's it's um it's fun because I think uh, in a lot of ways they're all gonna have to get to the point of sacrificing just just a little bit. Like maybe maybe Mahomes is the only person who doesn't have to sacrifice because uh, he should like get the largest contract in NFL history. But um, whenever the new CBA is figured out, I think the team will uh, come to some agreement with Mahomes on his mega extension. Um, but for Chris Jones, uh, who was very vocal in saying that, you know, he thinks the Chiefs are at the start of a dynasty. He does not want to leave um, Kansas City. Um, maybe he would take less money than than a player normally of his caliber would in free agency. Um, and then they're going to have to make a decision with Sammy Watkins, who's going to have a $21 million cap hit, which could be the largest on the team. Um, will he restructure his deal or will both parties understand that, you know, even though he signed a three-year deal, it was essentially a two-year deal um, with an option for both parties to sort of move on from that. And, you know, Sammy Watkins was, you know, wildly impressive and crucial to the Chiefs' uh, comeback, you know, with five catches for 98 yards and that long completion against uh, Richard Sherman. Um, they're going to have to draft well, too, now. Um, the Chiefs, I think, are one of the few teams since the uh, – maybe they might be the, the 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 first team since what the Seattle Seahawks did, which is, hey, get a young quarterback, build a really, really talented roster around him, uh, and take advantage of that rookie-scale deal where you win a championship and before you ever have to pay the quarterback, you know, true superstar franchise caliber money. Um, so – once you do that, which we all assume is going to happen this offseason, they're going to have to continue to draft well. And I think for Chiefs fans, there should be faith placed upon Andy Reid and and uh, Brett Veach, the general manager. Uh, every rookie that played in the Super Bowl yesterday was a massive contributor um, that was, you know, that had a role and sit and seemed to play it well, whether that's Miko Hardman in special teams and an additional receiver. Uh, Colin Saunders was pretty good in the second half in terms of being an interior defensive lineman. Uh, Rashad Fitton played more staffs than I anticipated as sort of that secondary fourth DB uh, in in strong passing situations. And um, although Juan Thornhill did not play in the postseason because of a torn ACL injury, he did start all 16 games. It was one of the more impressive uh, defensive rookies in the league. So they're going to need a similar draft come April. And for the first time since they drafted Patrick Mahomes, they'll actually like have a first round pick. Cause I don't think they'll trade for somebody like Frank Clark again. Um, so they need as many draft picks as possible. And they need most of those players to, to, to be productive and contributing and being on this path of growth that they can sort of be with Patrick Mahomes as he sort of continues to ascend in his career. All right. Well, I think, I think we've got enough for Miami. <laughs> I think this wraps up um, kind of everything that's happened here. I know you slept like, what did you sleep, like two hours? Even that much yeah, last night? Yeah, just about, yeah. And then, and then you know, I, 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 I guess I understand why the league, you know, because the team also has to fly back at some point today. I, I understand why Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes had to talk this morning, but it did not do well for my, for my, yeah. uh, for Look, my I'm sleep. Just- I'm just saying usually or a lot of times the Super Bowl MVP press conference, which is at 8 a.m., is either like in the same building or across the street from the media hotel. Nope. Not usually having to take a a bus (laughs) like 40 minutes to Miami Beach. But you were a champ. We appreciate you so much. You did such amazing work this week. I loved working with you. I hope everybody goes and reads everything that Nate's written, um, everything that we have up on the Athletic Kansas City and the Athletic NFL right now. And can't wait to see your coverage from the from the parade. You're going to you'll be at the parade, right? 
Yeah, I'll be at the parade. Hopefully, you know, with a triple shot latte in my hand because, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody. Look, I, I, for for my for this being my first Super Bowl, I couldn't have done it with a better partner and and you, Lindsay. So thank you Aww. for showing me the ropes and figuring well, out. We'll go, what we're, we'll go have one more cup of coffee before we get the heck out of Miami. Yeah, and what we're airplanes, what, what we're doing. But yeah, thank you so much for having me and. Uh, yeah, hope hope everybody enjoyed the Super Bowl. I had I have not seen a single commercial other than the one we we discussed involving Tom Brady. Uh, so hopefully I'll get <laughs> to I'll get to watch some commercials here in the next day or two. All right, Nate, congratulations on a great season all year at the Athletic, and uh, hopefully you guys check out all of the Super Bowl stuff. And yeah, we will talk to you soon, Nate. All right, thank you, ladies. Power up, power down. All right, well I think that about wraps us up today. So let's 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 wrap this up like we always do. Let's do our power up and power down. So Amy, kick yeah. off. What's your powering up or down this week? Uh, easy this morning. Powering up Shakira and J Lo's halftime show. Shakira, Just amazing. Shakira. So cool to watch. Shakira's uh, it was her birthday yesterday. She turned forty three. J Lo's fifty. Those women look incredible. They are doing moves that I could only <laughs> like dream of ever doing. Um, it was also just a really cool performance. There was obviously a lot of it was a multicultural performance. There was, you know, Shakira incorporated on some Colombian dance moves in. J Lo had a Puerto Rico pride a lot through hers. It was really cool to watch. Um, it was kind of perfect. It seemed a perfect fit for for the setting in Miami to have that kind of show. And they just look amazing. They sounded great. Uh, their dance moves were incredible. I just been trying. I've been like searching like Shakira J-Lo workout videos now just trying to uh, (laughs) using them as inspiration uh so yeah it was a lot of fun uh one of the more memorable halftime shows that I've seen recently so great job J-Lo and Shakira oh also power up A-Rod's reaction to watching J-Lo which if you haven't seen you should definitely search for it he just is like freaking out watching her I really think he like every five minutes he's just like Oh my God, I'm dating J Lo. And I it's can't like, believe he this has his reaction. He just like fanboys out. It's it's really funny. So check that out. Well, all right. So I I, <laughs> I have a lot of things. No, no, I'm not. I had a I had a lot of negative options here. And one of which, if you followed me on Twitter yesterday, I had like a very negative reaction to the um, Tom Brady Hulu commercial because the Patriots aren't here for the first time in forever. And I just was and like, can we yeah, make it through one day without? Yeah. And literally after that commercial aired, which that was the only one Nate and I saw it because it, I think it aired during halftime or right before halftime. So we actually had a chance to watch it. And then the people sitting in the row behind me who are some like very well-known national reporters spent like 15 minutes like debating what happened. And I was like, can we not talk about Tom Brady for like literally five minutes? So um, I'm going to um, power up to the pre what happened pregame. And I think all of it was on television the um the tribute to kobe bryant was really cool they handled it really well they all the players lined up on the 24 yard line and they did a tribute and they they listed all of the crash victims not just kobe and gianna but all of the um all of the individuals who died in the helicopter crash a week ago um and then they also honored chris dolman the nfl hall of famer who passed away last week after um kind of a lengthy cancer battle so that all went on kind of pre-game it was really nice and it was really it was handled really well but then they did the um nfl 100 celebration and i think we could debate a lot of like who actually ended up on that list and if certain generations were um, underrepresented or overrepresented. But it was very cool to just see this massive collection of like the greatest players in NFL history, you know, from guys that had to be, you know, like pushed onto the field in wheelchairs, you know, men in their 80s to, you know, a couple guys who are still playing in the NFL 
right now. I mean, Tom Brady, Larry Fitzgerald were both on that team. You know, Rob Gronkowski, like skinny Gronk um, was out there. And then, but, you know, so this this goes back. I'm just you know, a shameless plug here to everybody read the story that I wrote about Patrick Mahomes last night. But it was just very cool to see this collection of quarterbacks. I mean, it was Tom Brady. It was Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, um, Brett Favre. Like it was just like the best quarterbacks of, you know, multiple generations. And then we got to go see Patrick Mahomes, who's potentially going to be the, the the new best quarterback of his generation. So I thought it was a really fitting way to tie together the past and the present and the future. And, you know, I just, this was a perfect Super Bowl matchup for me. I thought the game lived up to all of the hype, all of the expectations that we had for it. So for all of some of the negative things that have happened this year in the NFL with officiating and, um, some off-field issues and all that sort of stuff, I think it could not have ended better. So um, power it up to Patrick Mahomes one more time. And uh, let's let's do it again in 2020. And can't wait to see um, what's going to happen next. Well, thank you guys for listening to us. Um, all season will still be around. We're going to keep doing this podcast. It'll just not be uh, in power ranking form for at least every week. We'll do some every now and then. We'll bring back the gifts in the off season. Oh, the gifts <laughs> are not going point. anywhere. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and thank you, Lindsay, for all your great work for Miami this week. You guys should check out her story. It's on the athletic uh, slash NFL page right now. And we'll have a lot more coverage coming tomorrow as well and pretty much all throughout the week. So keep checking that out. And thank you guys, as always, for listening. Sweet. I'm going to go take a nap. And I will talk to you guys <laughs> later. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye.